there are scenes that I thought were in Home Alone that it turns out were just Home Alone too. Yeah. I realized you did this when you said, am I going to be seeing Trump? Welcome to what may or may not be the first episode of I Made Her Watch, the show where two best friends essentially force each other to watch stuff they probably wouldn't on their own. And I'm your host, Stephanie. Depends how well we do. I'm your host, (laughs) Vanessa. You can see how much faith we have in our skills right now. We're so confident. Very little. We're just coming off of Christmas. (laughs) You're bloated, uncomfortable, and have very little hope for the future. Well, we were supposed to have already have recorded this, but then what happened, Vanessa? This is a good question. (laughs) Um, You know, it's an uncomfortable experience to bring up. It felt like death yesterday, like actual death. (laughs) The hangover? (laughs) Yeah, I realized that it really does affect you as you get older in a much worse way. So I now feel like I'm at least 35 years old. I feel like the experience yesterday aged me. Significantly. Significantly. (laughs) It was not fun. I don't want to make that a Christmas tradition, but it definitely goes down in the books as something I've never done before. Yes. Well, I think you forgot certain things to do while you drink that many cocktails one after another. Mm -hmm. Number one, water. Yeah. Somehow I had no water in between. I don't know how that happened because I'm usually pretty good about having at least one glass somewhere in the middle of the night. And I went to bed so dehydrated. (laughs) So (laughs) I felt like I was in the desert, but I was literally so exhausted that I could not walk 10 steps to the kitchen to get a glass of water. I also did not want to get up, but but I'm like, I know I'm going to regret this if I do not get some water. But the thing is, I also had an entire medium pizza to myself. That's true. That's mistake number two that I made. (laughs) Well, you did have a slice of pizza at some point, but not enough. In my defense, I thought that I had eaten enough throughout the day, and I definitely ate a lot during the day, but I just, I didn't have anything at the end of the night. Yes, that's what absorbs everything. I mean, we don't have the 24-hour pho place to go to. No. By the way, I did wake up the next day, though, with, the like, the gut. It's like that post-drinking, post-eating an entire pizza gut. Yeah. It was not flattering. Look, I would take that over... I just woke up with like 15 different symptoms and I'm like, I'm not sure which one to tackle first. (laughs) I really had to go to the washroom, but I couldn't sit up because of the spins. Um, I had really bad cramps. I was even more dehydrated than the night before, (laughs) but again, I couldn't sit up. I had a headache and I had like 15 messages on my phone wishing me a Merry Christmas. And like, everybody just please stop. <laughs> just like, leave me alone right now. I'm, I'm, I'm recuperating. I'm dying. <laughs> so what did we make? We had virtually, we made um, cocktails together, but in our, in our own respective houses, we 
initially made a gin sour, if I remember correctly. Yep. Started off with the hardest one. Yes. Then we made Sex on the Beach. Yes. Yep. Yep. And then we made a Bay Breeze. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then we did the gin cider. Yes, the gin cider drink, which like I always love. But mind you, all of these were done one after another Very within the span session. of like two hours. And each one of these drinks had like at least two ounces of like one, just one type of alcohol. Yeah. We had gin, we had vodka. We, oh, we also had tequila. We had the tequila. <laughs> we had the tequila. Night. I had rum. Oh, this is true. Day. Yeah. And a little bit of wine. Yeah. Had ice wine, which was quite good. Like, and that that hits you hard too, actually, because of the sugar. It's I think a big part of this whole mishap was the sugar content. I mean, I did wake up quite fine. Like yeah. I was very surprised. But once again, I had an entire medium pizza. I know that I didn't have to go through that pain if I had just played it differently the night before. I could have been fine. I really did mess up. So apparently when you get older, you don't get wiser. And you just feel like shit the next day regardless. There is no winning, kids. Yes. So that is the very long prelude to why instead of watching Home Alone on Christmas Day, we're now watching it on Boxing Day. Day. It's about the same thing. It's a, it's the spirit is still there. It's still snowing outside. In fact, exactly. you know what? The snow stuck more today than it did yesterday. That's true. That's very true. And you know what? I feel like it's still considered holiday season up until the new year. And then after that, it's just Depression City. Yeah, because then what else do you have to look forward to? Nothing. Lockdown. Lockdown. Great. Now, Vanessa, what are we watching this week? Oh, this week is a classic because the movie is a classic. This week, I made a Stephanie watch for the first time ever, which is shocking and upsetting and all kinds of vile. Home Alone, that 1990 American Christmas film directed by Chris Columbus. And I'm sure, I hope most of our viewers have watched it already. But in case they haven't, I'll hold back my judgment right now and provide a brief description. The film follows Kevin, an eight-year-old boy who must defend his home from two burglars, Harry and Marv, after his family accidentally leaves him behind on their vacation. So, in my, okay, in my defense. I'm listening, yeah. I had watched Home Alone 3 several times because I owned the VHS when I was a kid. And um, I have, I'm very sure I've watched pieces of Home Alone. But I had also, in my head slightly, I think, confused Home Alone 2 with Home Alone, the first one. Right. So there are scenes that I thought were in Home Alone that it turns out were just Home Alone 2. Yeah. I realized you did this when you said, am I going to be seeing Trump? You know. And you're like, let me just make her feel like a fool when Trump just never shows up. Because this movie takes place in Chicago. She's waiting the entire film for Trump to show up. I'm like, where is he? But it's fine. I think we've seen enough of him, to be honest, in this past four years. I think we're good. Five years, because when they had the Republican candidate. True, true, true. So more than enough. Yeah. Should point out, though, like this 
was written by uh, the famous John Hughes. So yes. the guy that is responsible for all those Brat Pack films. We're talking about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We're talking awesome. Pretty in Pink. We're talking yeah. about The Breakfast Club. So all those good classics, which I have watched. Funny enough, just not this Somehow. One. Have you actually watched the film? Because I discovered this today. Um, the film that inspired this one was another John Hughes. Uncle, Uncle Buck. Buck. No, I have not. So that was actually where the premise for this film came from. Because Macaulay Culkin, who's the star in this one, was also an Uncle Buck. And John Candy, who plays the polka king of the Midwest um, in Home Alone, is the star of the movie Uncle Buck. And there's a scene where the two of them are playing like 20 questions. And Macaulay Culkin totally steals the show in that movie. And that scene is so iconic. And that's where the inspiration for this movie came from. Before I watched Home Alone. Yes. What I did watch was, I think like, and it probably marks around a year ago. And there's this Netflix series that came out called Movies That Made Us. It's quite good. So it covers, I believe there's Dirty Dancing in there and Home Alone. And there's two other films, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But I had watched that series and they're about like 45 minutes each episode. And they just cover how these films were made. Yeah. And the kind of interesting backstory behind them. So I did uh, find out some very interesting tidbits about the film, including some legally dubious actions on behalf of John Hughes. Oh, yes. Okay, I did not know about that. I guess we can get started with the film. We'll work our way up to that part. <laughs> Where did you happen to watch Home Alone? I watched it on Disney Plus because I tried finding it on Netflix and it was not on Netflix. It's not. Okay, so... I was actually going to ask you for your Disney Plus password. (laughs) I ended up watching because I didn't do this because I wasn't sure if you were awake yet. And I'm like, oh, screw it. I watched it on Amazon Prime. Kind of unsure of how Disney Plus has it, considering that it is a 20th Century Fox production. Yeah. So, well, now I know Home Alone. (laughs) You should have known that from before as well, but that's okay. Yeah, so the film does open up with the entire family, and it's, I at first thought they were all his siblings, but it appears to be, like, his siblings and cousins. Yeah. Or, like, a couple of his cousins, and they're preparing for a flight to France. Mm Mm-hmm. That it seems like Kevin's uncle is living in France and wants to see the entire family. So this is about 15 people that he decides to pay to fly to Paris during the holidays. How much does this man make? Well, see, this leads to the question that's asked every year. How much does Kevin's dad make, too? And what does he do? Because do you see that house? It's insanely, I'm like, how do each of these children have their own room? They have like six of them. I mean, it's a mansion in there. It's apparently upper middle class. That's No, that's not how upper middle class live. That is how incredibly wealthy people live. So I don't know if Kevin's dad was involved in the drug business or what, but I don't think he's coming by those funds legally. I'm just saying that's a lot of money. Yeah, because then not only that, at some point in the film, they change 
like the dates of their flights yeah go back I'm like how much does that cost and then whatever the mother went through to try to even like a get back to I was going to say to Toronto they're not getting to Chicago (laughs) Toronto yeah, so um, I'm curious as to what these people do for a living. I mean, I does this get mentioned? What about in Home Alone 2? I mean, they're still very wealthy in Home Alone 2. <laughs> um, to be honest, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I don't know if it's ever covered. I mean, when, like, I mean, are they also going to send all these children to college? Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> They have a lot of money, but not enough for contraception. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, yeah. So, like, that was my first thought. I'm like, this is insane. It's the good old 90s where everybody has a ton of money without really knowing how they stumbled upon it. It's also the 90s where they, this would even be able to happen because this is like pre 9 11 air travel. Yeah. I mean, the scene of them getting on the plane, I think, is great. Yeah, because it's like, don't they realize that they have X amount of tickets? Do they not check the passports of when they're all trying to get on the plane? There's, like, a child missing. They never... The baggage, like... I don't understand. But yeah, also like the passports, they just got on the plane, like at bare minimum, you would think they would check the passports and the boarding passes, right? Mm -hmm. And at that point, they would notice that there's a child missing. They have like an extra boarding pass that doesn't match up to any of the children. But once again, it's pre 9-11. They're probably just like, get on here so I can keep on doing my job. You bought a ticket for this flight? Sure, I'm not going to check for proof that you have bought that ticket. Just go right ahead. (laughs) Yeah, so now the whole premise of the movie is that they go on this, um, the parents and the entire family, they go on this trip to Paris. And because of some sort of outage that was caused by some snowstorm yeah um i guess all their clocks get turned off and they don't wake up in time so then they accidentally leave the kid behind yeah so they leave kevin behind and one of the big things that i learned from uh the series that i watched afterwards mm-hmm. was that they didn't really want to make it believable that good parents could leave their child behind Okay. Like that was kind of one of the things that I felt that they really wanted to drive home because they had this hard time kind of balancing kind of like what could be a really scary situation and make it comedic and also make it believable and you not like hate the parents. Right. Right. For just like forgetting their child at home. So um, I definitely think like when you have that many children in the house, this Mm -hmm. could happen. I could see it happening. At the same time, like, I will just say this, watching it as an adult and, like, watching it a little bit more critically, honestly, they're all kind of shitheads. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yes. Like, what was the uncle? I think it was the uncle that called him a little jerk. Excuse yeah. me. They're very rude to one another. Um, the uncle's a cheap asshole, frankly. And Mooch is off his brother. And even the mother, like, doesn't really... Kevin's clearly a bit 
of an asshole child as well. Like he talks back to her from like the very opening scene and everything. Um, But, you know, she also just doesn't deal with him very effectively. He makes a comment about the whole family hating him. And she basically just agrees with him and says, well, then you should go sleep upstairs. (laughs) She knows that he doesn't mean it sort of thing. And he's just fed up and done. It's been like a hard day. There's like 15 people in my freaking home. Just go up to your room sort of thing. This is true. And it's extremely because, as you remember, I used to handle 30 children when I did summer camp. Right. There's a point that it just... You You hit your limit. Yeah, you hit your limit and you're like, "I'm, I'm, I'm done. You're just on... You can't handle like one more complaint about anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say he seems like he's a very sassy child. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can understand her hitting the limit pretty quickly. I just think that they all probably need a little bit more discipline. And it also struck me as really funny because I'm just thinking in my situation at that age, they're all running around the house in the opening scene. And there's, we find out after, obviously, he's not actually a police officer, but you have Harry standing there in the middle of the living room, fully decked out as a cop. Everybody thinks that he's a cop and literally nobody cares that he's there and nobody's listening to him and nobody seems to pay any respect to his authority. And I find that so odd because I feel like if you had a police officer in your living room, it would stand out to you. And if he was asking you a question, you probably wouldn't respond with sarcasm or or just brush him off and nobody gives a shit. Well, the thing is, I mean, I think that's actually like really telling about kind of the white perspective of what a police officer is to these people. Yeah. They have no reason to think that they would be there for anything bad to begin with. He's basically there to serve them. Precisely. Like, they're like, thank you for your service. Okay, here we go. Do you want eggnog? Yeah. But (laughs) it's definitely like an kind of an attitude towards an officer that if they were not white upper middle class people they would not have yeah everybody would have stopped in their tracks if it was another family when they saw a police officer in their living room (laughs) going back to that point of uh people kind of treating kevin not in the best way they're the jerks to him in this moment but i love the way that the camera really kind of heightens that feeling of everyone being against Kevin. Yeah. Um, it's sort of for a moment and and you see this quite a lot where you where the camera just kind of takes on Kevin's perspective. It becomes like really low and then looks upwards towards yeah. Uh towards the adults and towards like his older siblings and just everyone else. Yeah. And it's like you really kind of take on that emotion of what it would be like to be him at that age and feel that way and have like your uncle <laughs> your uncle call you a little jerk I think someone called him a disease at one point yes he is what the French call les incompetents <laughs> and he is a disease <laughs> we I, used to I say this because we used to fling that insult around in our house because we watched Home Alone so often um so we would say that back at each other but um it's It is, like, I have to say for Kevin, like, that's 14 other people in your family 
and the screen, the camera's panning out to everybody else around the dining room table, and they're all looking at you like you just ruined the whole night. Exactly. And it's, it was, I, I thought it was very good camera work. And yeah. um, in particular, like this, the people that were working on this film, a lot of them were rookies because, so this film was like I was telling you before, it was originally supposed to be a Warner Brothers production. Okay. So they had agreed to do the film for $10 million. And to kind of put it into perspective with other films that were made around that time, remember that movie Big? I don't yeah. know if you see. Yeah. So that one cost $18 million to uh, to make. Back okay. to the Future 2 cost $40 million. I so, yeah, so what ended up happening is this started to go over budget, obviously. Yeah. I mean, $10 million for a film of, like, this scope and what was involved in it yeah, would not cover everything. But they were managing to make it for, I believe, $14.7 Which isn't that much more. And Warner Brothers cut the plug. They're like, too much money it's over budget we're we're shutting down they had already started production on this i'm not sure to filming but like yeah building the sets so actually this the place where the entire movie was filmed with the exception of the exterior shots is inside an old abandoned high school that was actually used in ferris bueller's day off right so the set was built like the entire inside of like the house and that was sets built in the gymnasium Wow. And then different classrooms were used, you know, like for different offices of different people working there. Yeah. So Warner Brothers, you know, gives them the call. It's like, sorry, we're shutting down. And someone from Warner Brother comes and goes to every single office and they're telling them, okay, everyone, we're done. Like, You're kind of like, basically. yeah, pack your bags. But like right behind him is someone else going, keep on working, keep on working. Next day, their 20th Century Fox film. So the way that this ended up happening was one of John Hughes's uh, friends at 20th Century Fox, Mm -hmm. he had sat down with them to eat or have a meal and he's saying, oh, we're having this issue that they're thinking that they might pull the plug on this new film that I'm doing because we're going over budget. His friend goes, what's this film about? Like, and he, he tells them the premise of the film. He's like, I can get this done for 14.7 mil wow now this is where the legality kind of um gets questionable yeah so technically until warner brothers said they were cutting the plug another studio is not allowed to see the script okay but just so happens a script got left somewhere and someone from 20th Century Fox picked up that script. And that's when they greenlit Home Alone for 20th Century Fox. They literally did not lose one day of production due to the change in studios. That is amazing. Wow. How fortunate for them. Yeah. And like definitely very weird gray territory right there. And not only that, the whoever decided to say no because um warner brothers was saying okay like if you can get this down to 13.5 mil 
you can still do it. And they're like, no, we can't cut anything else out of this. Yeah. So can you guess how much this movie ended up making by the end of it? It was a huge, hugely grossing movie. I I don't know how much it was, though. Especially for the time. Like, we're talking about this is um, 1990 or 1990-1991 because it came out in November of 1990. So it made $285 million. And by the end of its half-year run in theaters. Wow. So it was in theaters for quite a while because it was like at the top of the box office for weeks and weeks and weeks. And the only yeah. other two films that at that point have like been had been able to do that was Star Wars and E.D. Huge, huge hits. That's definitely. Amazing. And if you look at that profit margin, like compared to what they spent on it and what they were able to make. That's insane. Yeah. So someone at um, Warner Brothers must hate themselves. Fudged, fudged yeah. up. They fudged and up. Like it's one of those movies that will continue to be a classic at Christmas time. It's that thing that, like, if you can make a movie or a song about something that's a yearly tradition, you will cash in big time. Like, look at Mariah Carey. She doesn't really have to work ever again. She can make money off of her two major Christmas hits every year, and she does. Then she goes out to sea on a yacht for, like, another 11 months of the year, and come December, she comes back, she re-emerges, she sings her song a couple of times, it plays on the radio, and then she goes back onto her yacht. She lives a great life. That's what you really need to capitalize on. Something that becomes a yearly tradition that you will make money on at least one month every year. I can only think about who the people that decided to do this, like how much they must be like hating themselves, man. Yeah. They probably don't watch Home Alone every year at Christmas. Oh, so I guess at some point they finally realize that um going back to the film oh yeah it's what's actually guys, happening uh, yes plot. yeah what's actually happening in the palace at some point they realize um they kevin is is yeah is not with yeah, them that iconic scene where she's screaming on the plane kevin um i also found it really funny uh <laughs> to me i think it's just probably the fact like watching it again now what a different experience and i guess it really highlights the difference in class Um, but like they get on the plane and the parents are sitting in first class and they've got their kids back in a lower class. They're not even seeing them for the full flight. And I just, I can never actually imagine that happening. But at the same time, I just want to say that I kind of aspire to be that sort of parent. (laughs) Leave the kids behind. We're going to sit in first class with the champagne and the comfy seats. And we'll see them when we land in Paris. Not a big deal. I will say this. After a certain age, I think it's fine. Like, do yeah. I need to be with my 13-year-old child in, in like, coach? No, I, I don't. They, they probably just want to be on their own. They don't want yeah. their parents there with them. They probably want to watch some, like, weird movie back Absolutely. there that they don't want me to know about. It's fine. Absolutely. They can do it. It's good. <laughs> I don't know what sort of movies you're talking about, but absolutely. I I swear, there's probably like 50 Shades of Grey on like some sort. 
There are weird, and I'm not saying that because I watched that, although I'm sure it's on there, but there are some weird movies that play on airplanes that like are very questionable. I remember coming back from Portugal, I watched um, that movie that was about the queen and it's with, what's her face, who's in the crown. She plays the queen now in the crown, the older version, Mm -hmm. Olivia. Oh my God. What's her name? Olivia Coleman love her and she's in this other movie and I can't remember the name of the movie but she's a queen and it's also with Emma Stone and some other lady who I'm blanking on the name of all of this is very inarticulately to say that there are like some more explicit scenes in the movie and I started watching it not knowing this right I just wanted to see it because I really like Olivia Coleman And at a certain point, I was like, oh, my God, this is so awkward. Like, my friend was sitting beside me and like she's looking over at a certain point. I'm like, I'm I'm not watching something inappropriate on plane, I swear. Like, I didn't know the scene was coming up. I'm really sorry. (laughs) And I was sitting. I was the one who was like closest to the aisle and there are people walking back and forth to like go to the washroom and everything because it's a longer flight. And I just I wanted to cover the screen with my arms because I was so embarrassed. It looked like I was watching porn on an airplane and I wasn't. (laughs) Well, like what kind of brought this to mind is I remember that there was this Reddit thread it's uh, an yes. the asshole Reddit thread about the guy wanted to know whether he was an asshole because he wouldn't stop watching Game of Thrones on yeah. plane. And it seems like some like a child in some other seat could like see. Yeah. I, I forget what the verdict on that is. I feel I like think I'm, that one was a bit just dis- a bit divided, but I think yeah. overall they said not the asshole. Yeah. Which so, I could see. Yeah, so, like, I don't know, maybe my kids just want to be watching Game of Thrones without my knowledge. I don't know. That would be fair, yeah. And, like, to be fair, too, to this McAllister family, all of their, it's not like their kids are super, super young. Like, Kevin and his cousin, Fuller, are the youngest of the group. Yeah, and they have, like, it seems like the old, like, a lot of the kids are older that can, like, look after the younger siblings yeah like the cousin who's counting them all up before they get Mm -hmm. on the bus to the or on the in the van sorry to get to the airport yeah and can I say I uh, there was a moment in the film that I thought they were going to kidnap that annoying kid like (laughs) he's just going to Paris with them (laughs) yeah and I'm like is this what happens like is he accidentally going to be brought on the plane and like (laughs) when they do like the head count again that that's they're gonna find out Kevin's missing yet they kidnapped someone and you're gonna see that kid in the cockpit on the plane asking them what kind of mileage do you get on this airplane how fast can this airplane go (laughs) (laughs) look I told you before kid go back into coach (laughs) leave us alone yeah so like there 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 was this thought process I was going through I had that it was this kid's ended up by accident different way (laughs) Yeah. So, um, once again, back to this uh, film. Um, uh, so it seems that part of the reason, or like not part of the reason, the entire reason why Harry was dressed up as a police officer is to find out which homes would be empty over the holidays and mm-hmm. when. Mm-hmm. And they they started, so they're burglars, they're the wet bandits. 
aptly named. Which their calling card. Yeah, there's a calling card, and which definitely comes back to bite them in the yep. caboose. Absolutely. <laughs> so they like to leave the water, well, Marv likes to leave the water running and plug up the sinks so that the house just fills up. And so that when you come back, you realize not only that you've been robbed, but you have excessive water damage in your home and probably need to start from the ground up again. Which is what brought me rage. You rob people's like most precious belongings. Who knows how much money is like all that's worth. Yeah. But then you have to go and destroy their floors. Destroy them. Why? Can you imagine too? Because so they do this, Marv does this in one of the houses on that street there. And, you know, these people are away on vacation for Christmas. So they're probably not coming back for at least a week. Can you imagine what's going to happen to a house where the kitchen sink has overflowed and like water's going everywhere in the house at this point? And what about their water bill? Yeah. What is I and there is rage. That is a true crime. That right there of this is film. Really sick. It's a really and even Harry says it. He's like, that's sick, Marv. And it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's really sick. <laughs> um but yeah, so they're they're the wet bandits and they've been staking out the neighborhood. And actually, as Harry describes later on that house the McAllister house because it's like a mansion um that was the reason they started working that neighborhood to begin with that's their silver tuna as he calls it that's the thing that they've wanted to hit for the longest time and now that they're finally the McAllisters are leaving on vacation they're finally able to rob the place or so they think yes but then they realize that someone's home and they try to go back the next night and then there's some sort of dinner party happening that in reality it is a whole bunch of mannequins why are there all these mannequins in this house I wondered that I was like where did they store all these mannequins why do they have them and I think I did see in the parents room like it seems to be one of those things like that the mom put like outfits on maybe to see what they look like or something. I still do not see a use in it, but all right. But the only excusable thing that was used in that entire like setup that is like, oh, this makes sense. This would actually be in someone's home was the cutout of Michael Jordan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. At that time. Yes. I'm like, I can totally see some sort of teenage boy having a cutout of Michael Jordan during this time. It makes sense. That one is totally understandable. The mad app is not so much. No, the other ones are just kind of creepy to me, to be honest. I mean, it seems like a house of great wealth and like classy design for the 90s. And I just find the mannequins a very odd touch, but it works obviously for the film. Yes, it does. Now, I do have a point about uh it it comes right after this when Kevin's afraid now because he realizes that there are these two burglars who are trying to break into the house. Um, And at the same time, the family is in Paris and his mom is calling the police and she wants someone because the phone lines are still down and they can't call home. She wants a police officer to show up to the house to just check on the house and make sure that he's okay. I sincerely hope that in real life, even in the 90s, although it's clear that in the 90s, people didn't take things very seriously. 
No. I sincerely hope that a police officer would not do this. They show up to the house. The lights are clearly on from the outside. Like you can see that there are lights on inside the house. The officer knocks twice and gives up. Yes. Not only that, they're like a child is home by themselves. Yeah. And not only that, it should prompt some sort of investigation into why this child was right. left home by themselves. And it should be understandable, too, that a child of that age might be afraid to answer the door when he's home alone. Obviously, they don't know the backstory of what everything else, like everything else that's transpired and up until this point. But to knock twice and then say, the house looks secure, tell them to count their children again. When it's very clear that there are lights on inside the house. And I just... So late, like right after Kevin goes grocery shopping. And yes. this uh, this cashier does a better job of it, like investigating yes. than this officer. She is the only person in this film who really puts in any effort to like make sure that he's okay. <laughs> yes, it's which is funny but he buys a few things there mm -hmm. i think some microwavable dinners um fabric Highly softener nutritious. yes a fabric softener and this is he mentions that he had bought fabric softener at the end of the film at first i was thinking i'm like okay maybe this is liquid detergent but no he confirms it's fabric softener yeah and he uses the fabric softener to clean his clothes <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's not a plot hole. It makes sense that a child would use fabric softener. Yeah. And you know what? Those clothes are going to smell wonderful when they come out, at least. <laughs> I mean, they might not be clean. No. <laughs> it did wrong me. At that point in the film, though, um, I I realized I had a load of laundry that I had to change out, which <laughs> I then, after I wrote the note about it, I couldn't went on to continue to forget about it <laughs> <laughs> so are you saying that kevin McAllister is more responsible when it comes to laundry even though he's afraid of the basement than you are i mean yes it takes me like <laughs> it takes me like three days to do laundry just because i always forget i have a load in there oh my god so i mean it happens oh, i'm just picturing the wrinkles i'm picturing how oh, don't worry i mean like anything sensitive gets like hung up i mean all i wear is loungewear now that's true loungewear does not wrinkle pajamas don't wrinkle <laughs> it's fine totally fine nobody's gonna notice anyways now one of i think the point that i feel most emotion in this entire film Mm -hmm. is anything that has to do with that old man. Yes. It gives me the feels when this man, all he's doing is doing a good deed for the neighborhood by salting the sidewalks. Right. And they're like, he puts a dead body in there or something along those it's lines. So awful. And he doesn't, to be honest, he doesn't even look that terrifying. His boots are like, there's a lot of buckles on them. I'll give the kids that. But otherwise, he just looks like an old man. Yeah. I'm like, he doesn't look that scary. I just don't like it when people treat, like, old men. Like, not nice. Like, they're shovel killers. I know. Yeah. And, which, by the way, that was a real shovel that was used. 
<laughs> that in was the killings? <laughs> not in the killings. Well, in in the like maiming of like the robbers when he when oh, later okay. on saves know. Macaulay. Yes. So apparently it was a real shovel. Interesting. Yes. So they but, went all out. They really did. But I truly did feel for him. And yeah. I, you can in in that scene, he's like, you don't have to be afraid of you. In the scene when Kevin goes to the church right before the big night of the break-in. Yeah. That he knows that the robbers are coming. And he's sitting in the church and he's speaking to the old man about um, having wished his family away. Yeah. And the regrets that they're basically mm-hmm. experiencing around Christmas time. Yeah. And it was a very touching moment. I, it I really found. is. I think they did the casting just right for um, the neighbor. Um, he just, it, it's a very poignant moment in the church when they're talking to one another. He's kind and he's friendly without being like overly talkative. Um, he just kind of shares a few of his insights and tries to cheer Kevin up a little bit. What I will say that I find interesting about that scene is Kevin now realizes that you know, the neighbor is not a bad guy. He's a caring man who's just gone through some things and there's some sick rumors about him that obviously aren't true. And he realizes that he's a friend to be trusted. And he also knows that at 9 p.m. that night, his house is going to be broken into. And instead of telling this man, who is now a friend and an adult, who perhaps could help him, because apparently the phone lines are still supposed to be down and there's no other way for him to communicate. Instead, Kevin decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands and stop the burglary himself. Well, yes, and booby-trapped the entire house. I mean, <laughs> right. I mind you, it seems he already had this all planned out. Yeah, I mean, he had a whole, like, a diagram. Of- he there- did, which actually, uh, you should know, he did draw himself Macaulay Culkin. Oh, no way. Yeah, that is his writing. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's just one of those things that it's just to help the plot move forward. Absolutely. Like, and to show, because okay. Kevin at the beginning of the movie, everybody's complaining that he doesn't know how to do anything. And he gets babied by his parents and he can't pack his own suitcase. And now here we have a Kevin who's taking on criminals. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point And part of the reason why he decided to take uh, matters into his own hands is to prove a point that he can yeah. do things on his own. He's self-sufficient. Yes, he's a fabric softener. Exactly. <laughs> I will say one of the things that bothers me about this house. Mm-hmm. So he booby tra- uh, Kevin booby traps the entire house. One of the ways that they try to get in there is through a doggy door. Yeah. Why is there a doggy door in a house with no pet? There is no cat. There is no dog. There is no point to this doggy door except to allow criminals inside your home. (laughs) You get the thinnest criminals and you shove them through the door. I'm extremely confused as to the existence of this doggy house. I never really put that together, actually, when I watched it. I never thought about that. And not only that, this is Chicago. This is a place that it's not like it's 
like in the south where it's always kind of like mild weather yeah. i mean does no one think about the heating, the heating bills yes that is that is a whole bunch of heat just escaping the house i mean they must have money if they don't even care they have well, a yeah. doggy door for non-existent pet that all your heat goes just out the window very like true. i mean out the doggy door <laughs> out the window <laughs> so it's something that extremely bothered me it is quite surprising, actually, that they would have that. But then they also seem like the family that blows a ton of money on very random things. I mean, they bought 10, 12 pizzas <laughs> for the whole family. Hey, I have to say, actually, that's not a bad bill considering how much they cost. Like they said, it was yeah. like 10 bucks yeah. per pizza or something, 12 bucks per pizza. They, I mean, it's it's not bad. I mean, I've spent so much more on Uber Eats. I, this is true. Our Uber Eats costs are pretty staggering. And that's for the two of us. Yeah, <laughs> this is for 15 people. Actually, you know what? Yeah, I will give them credit. They did a pretty good job there. That was economical. That was quite the economical purchase. Now, I think it would be fun to list all the ways in which the robbers, so we're talking about Harry and Marv, um, mm-hmm. can potentially sue Kevin and his parents. The brain damage that they've sustained from these booby traps. Like, yep. it's inexcusable, actually. It really is. They've tortured, <laughs> he's tortured them so much more than they really maybe deserved. <laughs> uh, so I have the fire torch, which burned off. It seemed not like the top of a hat, yeah. um, hair, yeah. and but yet it did not seem to touch his scalp, which I do not believe that that is like what would actually happen in that scenario. No. His scalp would have been badly burned. We have Marv's iron ironing um, print on his forehead. Yes, chill. <laughs> live with for a very long time. There is also. Um, the heated doorknob. Yep. Was scalds Harry's hand. Um, there's the hold that Marv sustains in his foot <laughs> from stepping on a nail. That one. Ouch. Harry, that it, was it, a big. It, it, it made me cringe. Um, there was also the ice, like the water that he had placed on the door on the stairs. And also he had put like toys. Which causes which they both Marv and Harry Stepped. walk on, and then they flip. Yeah, actually, really, Marv has done a lot of damage to his feet <laughs> in the course of that movie. I mean, these people shouldn't be conscious, like no. at this point. Like <laughs> they should be in a coma. I would agree. At that point, they've sustained so much damage, <laughs> and then um, Harry gets. It is Harry, right? The tarantula is on him. Yes, yes. Marv hits him with the <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, yes. That it is what happened. Um, but so what was like very interesting um, about this film as well is how these stunts, what you saw happen mm-hmm. is what the stunt doubles like actually did. So um, nowadays you have things like padding in the floors to kind of like break someone's fall or whatever. Yeah, It's like, no, these stunt doubles were actually throwing themselves 
to the oh, brand. Wow. And these, so what you saw happen on screen is what happened. That's that looked really painful. <laughs> Extremely painful. And they're interviewing Getting hit with like paint buckets and flying off the stairs. I'm I'm sure like in like they find some way to like cushion like part of this stuff, yeah. but in particular it's like the falling. Yeah. It was super dangerous. Like they were saying that even while they were filming it, they were scared. Like this was a, it wasn't funny at that moment. It was scary. Yeah. But then the stunt bubbles are like, yeah, it's fine. Because these people are insane. Because they just wow. like throw themselves to the ground. Like For honestly, money. Joe, even fake falling from like a short distance really hurts. It does. And you know, it's also like a testament of how they good they are at their craft because it is a skill yeah. in being able to know how to be able to fall in a way that doesn't permanently injure you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's actually really impressive. I didn't know that about the stunts that took place. I do want to say, and I find this kind of interesting, maybe I'd like to get your take on this. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one thing about the stunts, first of all, I'm kind of wondering <laughs> if there was an increase in this sort of public mischief after Home Alone came out. Because I think you'll agree that a lot of what's actually shown in the movie, like I'm sure it's entertaining as a kid's movie, but it's also there's a lot of like little nuggets in there that are funny and entertaining more as an adult probably than when you're a kid right mm-hmm. um but I'm wondering if this movie sort of encouraged some bad behavior for kids after oh, seeing it I'm sure like I'm wanting to try those stunts 100% sure just think about all the times that you've probably like stepped on like lego pieces or something and like yeah. a child has thought you in agony yeah funny oh, my nephew <laughs> yes <laughs> I mean, I I wasn't going to say it. (laughs) You were going there. I was going there. Um, Yeah, but I I definitely think it probably brought about some um, interesting mischievous behavior. Yeah, I just hope nobody tried the flame torch one because that, to me, seems the riskiest. (laughs) But, you know, you have the firecracker in the pot when he's trying to pretend that there's some sort of crime going on in the house to scare Harry and Marv away. You've got him stealing the toothbrush and then sliding on the ice. And that, I'm sure, looked like a lot of fun to a lot of kids. (laughs) The snow sled. On the yeah, stairs that eventually, oh, that's God. like incredibly, incredibly risky. And then, like on top of that, and I will say this coming from like a personal place, you know, all the insults that the kids lob at each other, and like I know as kids, we took those and used to say them to each other after watching the movie. You're such a disease. <laughs> that was a really common one. I feel like this movie probably resulted in a lot of kids acting out in some. Not so healthy ways. <laughs> yeah, but if, I mean, if anything, though, I, any piece of media could have that potential, like, influence. Sure. I think maybe the difference is that there was probably a whole bunch of children just doing the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, the second thing that I want to bring up, because I'm just a little bit, I guess, confused by this. So they they knew... Harry and Marv knew at a certain point that Kevin was still in the house and he's home alone. Mm -hmm. They still want to break into the house. And Harry specifically says like, look, this is the whole reason why I've been working. We've been working this neighborhood. It's for this house. This is the big catch. What did they think 
I'm kind of wondering what did they think they were going to accomplish with a little kid home alone? Because now you have a witness if you're robbing the house. I think the point is that they're not very good burglars. They're not very smart. No, I'm just, I'm thinking if there was a more sinister plan that they were going to kill him (laughs) at the end of the process. There was like this debate when they were writing the screenplay and making the film is just how scary to make the robbers, as I I was telling you before, to make Harry and Marv. And I think that was definitely something that was hard to balance, Mm -hmm. right? Because the things, like you said, there's a child home alone and there's still these robbers and know he's in the house and still want to get in there. What what are they going to do with this child? Yeah. It's like a scary thought. Yeah. But I think their incompetence is what makes it comedic yeah and what helps to kind of like temper that fear yeah that they're just like we're just gonna scare this kid Mm -hmm. because we can yeah and we won't really think about the fact that we now have a suspect on our hands who could personally identify us (laughs) yes this is mind you at the end of so spoiler alert they got caught in the yes. and they end up getting caught um as Kevin is escaping his home after his like last booby trap he goes into the house that was now flooded and uh both Marv and Harry grab him and hang him up on like one of those hooks for your jackets yeah. or, or something and the sweet old man comes and hits him on the head with what turns out to be an actual shovel. <laughs> poor Joe Pesci. Yes, poor Joe Pesci. And uh, they get caught and it turns out that they can link every single robbery that they've ever been connected to because of the MO of clogging, <laughs> of clogging the sink and leaving the water running. It's their calling card. It's their calling card. And don't forget that the wet bandits, that's what? W-E-T. Oh, just shut up. <laughs> Plus Marv. <laughs> Plus Marv. So we're essentially coming to like the conclusion of the film. Um, but after all this happens, Kevin is still alone at home. Yeah. He still has time to enjoy. <laughs> yes. He's still home alone. Like no officers decide to like in- interview him about what happened. Oh. And, and the sweet old man just leaves him there. <laughs> like just... <laughs> He'll be fine. <laughs> Mind you, and no one knows that their parents are coming back. No one knows because they haven't been able to contact anyone. Or Again, like, I sincerely hope the police officers in that district are not that incompetent. <laughs> I'm, that was just committed. We're not going to bother interviewing the main victim. <laughs> it's the most boring street in Chicago. I mean, like, what are they normally investigating? I don't know. <laughs> Very true. No, so... It comes up to Christmas Day, Christmas morning, and there's this snowfall. Now, apparently, this was a crucial, crucial scene. Okay. So, like I said before, like most of the film was um, anything that had to do with the interior was filmed inside of the high school. The high school. Space in these sets that they built. But everyone had beepers because, yes, they used beepers back then. 
Excellent. And everyone had to drop absolutely everything when the first kind of like snowfall hit after they started filming. Right. And it was, and I quote, they called it the money shot. (laughs) They call this the money shot. This is why they spent $14.7 million for this one scene. Yes. So the snow starts falling, everyone's beepers go off, and it's, I believe, like on their second or third day of filming, something like that. They're originally supposed to be doing the scene where... uh, Kevin is stealing the toothbrush that we still have not found out whether it is approved by the American Dental Association. Some people would like to know. I have I have someone in mind that would definitely Some ask dental that question. Hygienist would like to know. Yes. And um, wink, wink. <laughs> and so they go to the front of the house, start filming. Uh, so they start I think there's, um, it was potato. There was actually pieces of potato, like the snow falling to add like more to the scene. So it's no way. Yeah. The only problem is eventually it's like on day two or three, it started not smelling the best <laughs> because it's just a whole bunch of like spoiled vegetables <laughs> with these poor people. Like, I don't know. They probably cleaned it up, but it's like this poor people's front lawn. It's just like full of like, Oh, and can you like imagine cleaning that up off of grass? The, potato. <laughs> potato. But um, that's got to be a nightmare. It, it It is a nightmare. Uh, yeah, that was apparently the money shot. And it's the scene where um, Catherine O'Hare's character, so she plays the mom, yeah. comes home after, you know, traveling from uh, Scranton. The office. Yes, I also thought that traveling from Scranton in a bus full, or sorry, a U-Haul. I think it was a U-Haul it is full a U-Haul. of uh, polka players. I which... just, I just want to say that everything about Home Alone is great, but my personal favorite scene in Home Alone is that last scene of them in the U-Haul. I'd like you to know that John Candy is a legend. <laughs> um, he was considered widely considered one of the nicest men in Hollywood. Just a sweetheart. If you haven't watched Uncle Buck, you should also watch Uncle Buck because he's great in that too. And he's great at giving like funny performances that are also very endearing. But that scene where he's describing him and his wife having left their child in a funeral parlor. And then he says afterwards, you know, kids are resilient. They can't, they come around after about six or seven weeks. You started talking again. <laughs> I want you to know that I quote that line all the time. I love it. That and the Polka King of the Midwest. It is my favorite scene in the movie. And you should know, too, that he improvised all of his lines in this movie. Um, It's a legend. That was, honestly, that is my favorite scene of the movie. I was literally laughing out loud. And the fact that he improvised in a John Hughes film. Mm-hmm. That was like only for John Candy. John Hughes did yeah. not allow anyone to kind of like play around no. with his script. But on the day that they had John Candy, uh, they're like, just let him do his thing. Which, so they only had John Candy for one day. Yeah, he and filmed they, all of his scenes in that one day. In the one day that lasted 23 hours. Yep. That was a favor. This poor man. <laughs> Did as a favor because it turns out I forget which I the pizza guy, the pizza delivery guy the made Nero's more, guy, yeah. Yeah. 
he made more money from Home Alone than John Candy did. No way. Yeah. So did he just do it as a favor then? Like he just, for money? Like, Um, I mean, in terms of his compensation for it? um, I'm sure he just like made, put time aside to like do it, but he was probably paid like minimum whatever to stand within the budget. Like, I can't remember exactly what they said about that, but like I wrote it down, like the pizza delivery guy made more money. Wow. It was probably That's a favor to John Hughes because they were quite close. Yeah, yeah and they clearly had worked on other movies together before. But I didn't know that. That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, but like honestly, the 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 funeral parlor. Um, it's the best know? line, and just the way he delivers it is so great. He gives it to you in little fragments, and then that last hit at the end. You know, after six or seven weeks, he came around. He started talking again. He spent all day with a corpse. <laughs> all day, all day. <laughs> and then Catherine O'Hara's reaction, too, is really great. Because, I mean, considering John Candy was improvising the whole thing, and she's just working off of what he was giving her, right? And then when he goes, you know, kids, they're really resilient, though. And she's like, <laughs> clearly, she's very disturbed by all of this. And she's like, let's just stop talking about it. And he's like, well, you were the one who brought it up. She goes, yes, and I wish I hadn't. <laughs> it was it was really the highlight of the film for me, yeah. like was um his performance. And I I don't know, it kind of makes me want to look into more of John Candy's stuff. Yeah, he is really great. So mom gets home. She's reunited with Kevin, and Kevin seems happy. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the family appears, which One I'm like, later. I mean, did they really have to, like, take all of them back? Leave the older ones back there so they can enjoy Paris. Exactly. I mean, if they're all going to go travel down to Paris and that first flight was free, then why not enjoy some of it? Like, at least half of the family should be able to enjoy part of the trip. I'm sure they all were worried about Kevin, but I think just from the perspective of the audience, knowing that Kevin's, I mean, minus the the robbers. Yes. I mean, he was fine. Perfectly unharmed. Perfectly unharmed. But the rest of the family arrives minutes after, um, minutes after, I believe her name is Kate, like uh, Catherine O'Hara's character. So the mom yeah, you arrives. Know what? I've never actually paid attention to what her name is in the film uh, i will say i Kate. just mentioned that he was perfectly unharmed that's not actually entirely true so in that scene where he's put onto the hook uh-huh. and um harry and marv are taunting him and saying all the things that they're going to do to him to punish him and one of the things that harry says i'm gonna bite your fingers off right he actually i guess in one of the takes did bite macaulay culkin's finger and he ended up having a scar on his finger from it, like a very tiny oh, one. Oh, no way. But yeah. <laughs> oh, poor kid. Not entirely unharmed. I mean, but that was Macaulay, not Kevin. Yes, different people. <laughs> Absolutely different people. I guess that kind of brings us to the end of the film where, you know, the fi- like the final couple of shots are just, I believe, the dad. So his name is Peter, by the way. That one, I remember. Finds a uh, uh, Joe Pesci's golden tooth. Yep, on the floor, and Macaulay looks out and he sees that the old man has been reunited with, with his, his son. son. 
which is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, well, that brings us to the end of the film. A very touching last scene to the movie, and it's snowing outside, and it feels very Christmassy. Yes, honestly, I would definitely rewatch this. I that's like the next question year, now, right? Yeah, I mean that was your first watch of it, which is shocking and frankly kind of sinful. But <laughs> I thought I had watched parts of it. <laughs> how much? Okay, first question, I guess. Mm-hmm. How much of it had you actually watched prior to this full run through? I I'm not sure to be honest. I've definitely seen clips of it. Like I remember, I think just probably saving like a YouTube or something clip of the polka king thing and then there was also whatever scenes that they had incorporated into the movies that made us a episode that I had watched because I had watched that a year ago so there was clips of that I mean I know so it's definitely been on like the Spanish television where my parents just like watch films but they're dubbed in Spanish but I never pay attention to them okay yeah so I guess maybe I watched a third of the film if you kind of like add all that stuff together. Right. You kind of knew where the film was going, I guess. Um, I knew where the film was going, but to the extent that it, it feels like it seems like the third movie just like it was followed the same formula as the first movie. So because yeah. I had watched the third movie so much, I'm like, oh, it's probably like similar. Yeah, yeah probably similar. Once again, I thought the I thought it took place in New York, so that turns out to be Donald Trump. Surprisingly, does not show up the entire movie. Yeah, I was expecting pizza and a limousine, <laughs> so that turns out to be from the second film. So I, there was I, I definitely conflated a few things. Mm-hmm. Um, That's fair, though. But I would definitely like a rewatch. I feel like it's would be a great thing to watch on Christmas or around like Christmas time, right? So. Uh, Yes, I say when it comes to this film, I would rewatch. That's amazing. So this might become a Christmas tradition for you. Maybe, maybe. I have to say for myself, I mean, I've watched it multiple times before. It's still a classic. My brother loves, loves this film so much. (laughs) Did Um, he watch it with you this time around? No, no. Um, I feel like it would have just been mostly him reciting the lines and that would have interrupted the actual movie. <laughs> but um, like we've watched it so many times that at this point, I know many of the lines from the movie. Um, but it's a tradition every year. I still enjoy it. I, I think that like, obviously it has entertainment value for kids. I think it's actually probably much more entertaining to watch as an adult. Because a lot of the jokes just land better. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it definitely a classic for me so what are we going to give this out of 10 out of 10 10, yeah um I know it's like usually like five but I think I still think in terms of like a hundred percent on an assignment I've been traumatized that way from it's a little easier to mark something out of 10 than it is out of five (laughs) I just I understand the percentage better yes um, you know what? I'm going to go with a solid like 8.5. Hmm. I would give it an 8. I think I would give it an 8. It's, like I said, it would definitely be something that I would watch again. Yeah. I think it's just not one of those, unless it's like the season, I yeah. probably wouldn't go out of my way to 
uh, to like look it up and just see it again. Yeah. Um, that in the way that I would other films because uh, that's more of like a year round thing. So I think that yeah. it kind of like that's it, that it's a Christmas film works in its favor, but also against it. Yeah, that's true. It only works, I think, for certain times of the year. Yeah. I'm not going to be watching Home Alone in the middle of like July, July. <laughs> where I'm like, I only have two months here. Right. I have to be outside in the sun for those full two months, me especially. (laughs) Yeah. It's like I cannot think about the inevitability of the snowfall that will befall us. Exactly. uh, Yeah. I will say, though, and I think this is a testament to how great of a filmmaker John Hughes is. I think a lot of his films for me are very. watchable and like I continue to watch them just whenever they're on so Home Alone of course is like a Christmas thing but provided it's the Christmas season and it's on TV I'll turn to it and watch it even if it's just like a part of it but like Ferris Bueller's Day Off sorry is another John Hughes film and I love that movie so much and I'll watch it like any time of the year whenever it's on and I'm always going to enjoy it. Yeah, I'll definitely say the same thing for uh, The Breakfast Club. Yeah. I first discovered The Breakfast Club, I believe, in film study class back in high school. And uh, it was kind of like one of those things that um, our teacher made us look at and analyze. Yeah. So um, I loved it since then. I if it's something, once again, if it's playing on TV, on TV, I, which doesn't happen that much now, I would say, just because I just stream everything. So yeah. I won't come across it casually anymore. Well, um, I think we can finish off with a couple of like other facts that I did not go through. Okay, let's do it. So first, and I just like, can you list the facts the way Buzz would list stuff in the movie? So he he says at a certain point the three reasons why he's not afraid of Kevin being home alone. He starts with A, two, and D. <laughs> I want you to list them that way. Okay. So A, as I mentioned multiple times already, how most of the interior shots were filmed inside of the high school. Mm-hmm. But the scene where the basement was flooded and the that house was actually built inside of the pool, inside of the empty pool. No way. Yes. So they. That's very cool. Yeah. So, well, their thought process was it's like the set is obviously going to leak. Why not leak into an empty pool? It yeah. makes perfect sense. <laughs> that does. That's smart. Um, so they saved a million dollars right there. <laughs> yeah. So, and number two. Eagles. They had a little bit of an issue with uh, Joe Pesci, actually. No. The issue was that um, he would, well, actually a couple of issues. Number oh, no. one would be that he would not want to get up for the call times because he had to go golfing before filming. Oh, God. He had, so he, he had to golf. Also, apparently, whenever... Joe Pesci read a script that was not Scorsese. He could only get through reading it by adding the F word every few words. So 
so he would incorporate it. This was a bit of an issue during filming, obviously, because it's a it's a children's film. So the way that they kind of got around uh, Joe Pesci wanting to swear is that he invented kind of that mumble, like mumble jumble when he would get hurt. So That's all that, hilarious. all that, that is like him, swearing. I guess him in swearing his in his head, essentially. That's fantastic. Oh, I love that. Another thing is that um, Robert De Niro was actually considered to be one of the robbers, but they ended up going yeah. with Joe Pesci. I heard about that. I think Joe Pesci was the right choice. 100%. I, he's, I just, he's a classic. I'm a little bit sad to hear about his work ethic related to golfing but he i still love yeah. him i think they still quite enjoyed like working with him i think he's it's my just, cousin Vinny. like how can you not <laughs> yeah so they're like i think a call time was supposed to be like 7 a.m and they're like you guys don't actually need me at 7 a.m you get there from nine what something along those lines and the last thing was we were talking about how th- sorry yes yeah, so this is point d oh yes point D was how they got John Williams to do the score for the film. So they had originally gotten another composer and I guess that didn't work out and they were putting together the rough cut of the film. Yeah. And they're like, wouldn't it be great if we got John Williams? They're like, how the hell are we going to get John Williams? So they ended up sending him a rough cut of the film and he liked it so much that he decided to work on it. No way. Uh, so, wow. and that is what pulled the film together was this score yeah. that um, yeah. he put together. And I, guess, I have to say, like, the movie is quite well known for its score. Mm-hmm. And that is the last of my little facts and tidbits. So oh. you got your uh, your A and your two and your D. So I love that. That was really, really good. I I did not know those facts about it. That's pretty interesting. Yes. Coincidentally, once I, I saw a documentary of sorts about Home Alone before actually watching Home Alone. <laughs> so so there's Working that. backwards. <laughs> okay, so I think it's that time of the episode where we're going to see who gets to choose what the next person is going to watch. Oh, so, this is the best time. So, so I... I'm about to share my screen. Because it has to be um, fair, right? Yes, it is going to So be we fair. have to fairly choose and who has the control. <laughs> Wheel of names. Yes. So I inputted our names, I think like six times or something, just until like a <laughs> Are you nice sure you just him. didn't do yours eight times and mine four you times? Are- you can see my screen. You know it's true. Right there. I still want to fight this. I'm going to be Trump right now. <laughs> there was just something fishy about it. I don't feel like the counts were properly made. Now, like, count it for yourself because I don't trust your toy tossing. tossing. <laughs> well, I don't want to count it. I don't want to do extra work. <laughs> I just want to lob accusations. Okay, well, um, just as what will hopefully end up happening with Trump, um, it will come to naught. So <laughs> this is true. No, no, it does look fair. So it looks I believe- like it's the same number. Yeah, just got So Stephanie, one, two, three, four, five. Vanessa, one, two, three, four, five. 
Okay. So we both have a 50-50 chance of this coming out in our favor. And it actually took us as long to count that as it did for the Nevada poll workers <laughs> to get them there. <laughs> okay. Are we ready? Ready. So it says click to spin. I don't have a good feeling about this. on the edge of my seat yeah see unfair (laughs) do you hear the clapping look there is uh, there's confetti my name popped up we have a winner it is unfair solely because i don't like the result and that's probably the most trump thing i've ever said (laughs) (laughs) okay so are you ready to find out yeah what i'm I'm making you watch i'm a little nervous, but yes. Now, now, I will say this. I struggled between three different options here for okay. quite a while. Two of which were films, and one of which was a series. Okay. But um, what it finally came down to is I think if I'm going to start um, introducing you into this world... That is probably going to be the theme of a lot of the things that I'm going to be making you watch. I might as well go for a classic. Okay, so a classic, I know where this is going. Classic film. Are you ready? Yes. Vanessa, I'm making you watch Spirited Away. I'm actually excited for this. Yes, it is. Honestly, one of the films that got me into anime from like a very young age, um, there is yet a filmmaker that does anime the way that Miyazaki does. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to see what you think about it. I'm actually excited to watch that because I've been thinking of watching it for a while because I know how good the reviews are for Mm -hmm. it. And I think it's kind of like a good introductory film like you said, to that genre. Yes. And in particular, like, I find that its English dub is fantastic. Like, I really do, do like it and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I guess that's kind of like where we're going to be starting off. So that's, like that's going to be our next episode. Next episode is Spirited Away. This is great. Yeah. And if you want to watch along with us, for the 2.5 people out there listening join us yeah join us <laughs> who's the point five? it's my cat <laughs> it's it's my cat there's so many things wrong with that statement but <laughs> i mean i only say and it's not a full like i do consider my cat a person the problem is that she may hear this but she's not actually listening oh she is oh she's she is well, no, she's not. She's listening and judging. I mean, she's always slightly judging me. There you go. I, but I also, like, give her food, so she has to be <laughs> nice to me. She better give me a good review. I just bought her a cat tree. You know, that's very true. <laughs> you deserve it. You have bribed your way to good reviews. <laughs> yes, I have. And I don't know if I have yet, but <laughs> we'll work on that. Um, so I guess this is it for now and we will see you next week I guess Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know when we're actually will be filming this next episode. It might be sooner than that. But for you out there. Yes. It's next week. The 2.5 people. It it will be next week. This is great. Okay. Bye. Bye.